Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. If you were here last week, you know that we are in a second of a six-week series called The Divine Romance. We're calling the series this for essentially what we read last week in Ephesians 5. We find out as we study the scriptures that the ultimate purpose of marriage is to illustrate Christ's love for the church. And every other purpose is secondary. There are other purposes to be sure, but they all come as a subset under illustrating Christ's love and service toward the church, namely in laying down his life on a cross to wash away the sins of his bride and present her holy and perfect to God the Father. Um, And so to dive in and ask ourselves about this horizontal relationship without first recognizing what the Bible teaches, that it's incredibly vertical, we would be remiss. So we're starting off with, I shouldn't say starting off with, all six weeks are ultimately going to be from God's word about God's love toward sinners, and this bathes marriage with meaning. It bathes it with purpose. It holds you together when you thought marriage was about happiness and now you're not happy, and so do I quit? What if I have an anchor that's a little bit deeper, a little bit bigger? And for the love of God, somebody needs to tell our young people that marriage is hard. There are no movies out there. There are no sitcoms, Oprah. Nobody will tell you how hard this is. I don't get it. It makes no sense why we don't tell people... Do you know, I mean, goodness gracious, who here, we love you guys. Anybody here in the, uh, serve in the armed services? Thank you guys. Okay, yeah. Can, can we agree that boot camp would have been different if you'd have been lied to and told in advance that it was easy? Just based on what we know about basic human psychology, how many dropouts would we have in boot camp if we told everybody that it was easy, and it's, it's basically a summer camp, and you're going to sing Kumbaya, you're going to learn four chords for the Lord, we're going to roast some marshmallows and hollow out a canoe. And then we take, put you in the U.S. Marines, but like, we're going to have a huge dropout rate, right? Somebody's got to tell young people how hard marriage is. And when I say somebody, I mean there are a lot of people with a lot of experience right here in the room that can testify it's hard. That was for free. That's not in the notes. Somebody tell young people that marriage is hard, please. It's going to help our dropout rates. We would tell our young people how difficult this is. But the anchor, biblically, out of Ephesians 5 and really any biblical text of marriage, the anchor is that there is a bigger purpose. There is a cosmic purpose behind marriage that helps me to not quit when it's hard, helps me to not quit when I don't feel loved, helps me to not quit when I feel like my rights have been violated, as if this was all about me. It gives me something deeper. So, if you were here, we caused a lot of problems last week. I, it was cool, though. It was cool. I got out to my car. My tires were not slit, as expected. So that was cool. Thank you, guys. Uh, so that worked out. But hey, there's always next week, right? So, glutton for more punishment. Um, today's sermon is called A Godly Husband. So I could do something really dangerous. I could tell all the ladies who they're supposed to be and how they're supposed to operate in a Christian marriage. 
I could do something a little bit safer and just talk to the guys. Or, like we're going to do today, I could talk to the guys and let all the ladies listen in. How many of you guys know it's different? If I talk to the guys right now, the Christian men who are married and their wife is sitting right next to them who heard me say it, that's different than a guys' conference, isn't it? If we have a guys' conference, like taking notes, taking notes, that's good. Mm, not telling my wife that one. Truth be told, there are a lot of things that those of us who call ourselves Christians and we are husbands, we are called to an awful lot. Uh, there's no possible way I could have shoved this all into one sermon, but what I could do, and I did, is prayerfully considered, what are, Lord, what are the weak points? And so we're only going to talk about three things this morning that I believe are culturally either weak or totally lost. In our culture's gender confusion, no idea what marriage is anymore, no idea what a man is or what a woman is anymore. Uh, what are some of the weak points that are clearly laid out in Scripture? Um, so we'll get to our text in just a moment because the topical sermon, it's going to be everywhere today. Uh, I apologize. This is, these are chaotic. We're going to be in a bunch of different scriptures. First and foremost, this is a big deal. A godly husband is submissive. A Christian husband is submissive. Now, shame on us in traditional conservative evangelicalism. Shame on us that too often the word submissive we're only ever talking about a wife when Ephesians 5 starts off with saying, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Shame on us. Take a look at this. This is a very confusing chapter with lots of things that people go, oh, what does this mean? What does that mean? It's about head coverings. Lots of different Christians disagree. But there's one little nugget in here that almost nobody disagrees on. This is what part of his opening statement. Apostle Paul, early church father to the church at Corinth, there is one thing I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. The head of Christ is God. Huh? I want to submit to you that that was, that was packed with meaning. So let me interpret the first statement, the head of every man is Christ. Amen? You have an authority. The one who's holding the whole cosmos together by the word of his being. Us guys like to get arrogant. We like to think we are the lord of our castle. We're in charge of something. Paul says, you have a head. You have an authority. And he's the one who died for you. He's the one who died for your wife. Single guys, he's the one who died for your wife-to-be. You have a head. I have a head. And then, what it to, in modern feminism, we think this is the controversial part. This would have not been super controversial to them. The head of woman is man. The spiritual leadership, the, you know especially to those that grew up in synagogue and, and converted to Christianity and are hearing these letters. This isn't controversial at all. Why? Because a woman was literally taken out of a man. God fashioned a rib, right? Which is why I, 
my personal theory why men love barbecue. We have this rib issue deep in our soul. I can't prove it biblically, but... So he's saying, a man has a head, it's Christ. A woman has a head. And it should be noted, this is a sign... The word for man and the word for woman in this text, depending on the context, could be translated husband and wife. So it's possible this text says the, um, the head of every husband is Christ, the head of every wife is man. That's possible that this is specifically talking about married, but Bible translators go back and forth on that one. And then perhaps the most important part, the head of Christ is God. What? What? So not only is he, did he just tell the dudes, you have a head, but he really laid it on thick. Your leader is not so high and mighty that he is not submissive. Christ himself, co-equal, co-eternal with the Father and the Spirit, co-creators of all the known world and unknown world, if he is humble enough to submit to the Father, to go to his cross saying, Father, not my will, but your will be done. That is willful submission. Submission is not a doormat behavior. It's not submission if I have to... Anybody? MMA fans? Anybody? Okay, so there's a type of brutal wrestling out there with almost no rules, and there are basically only two endings of the fight. They call One is by knockout. You actually lost consciousness. The other is called a victory by submission, meaning I got you in a triangle choke or something, and you're going to lose oxygen, whatever. You can't take it anymore, and you tap your opponent on the elbow. His, his elbow's here, so it's easy. You tap your opponent twice. That double tap means I am forfeiting the match. The match is over. And you have to because the oxygen's gone, you know, for whatever reason, usually oxygen. Um, please, sign your kids up for baseball, like Little League, something. And I think that we can get from our cultural images that submission is something that is forced onto someone. But the sinless Son of God, who is loved perfectly by the Father, who is loved perfectly by the Holy Spirit, since eternity past, there is submission within the triune God. No one's stomping on anybody because they love each other perfectly. So, men, don't be afraid that Christ is your head. No one loves you more. Men, don't get high and mighty that your wife has you as her leader. She actually won't be afraid of you being the leader if Christ is your leader. She'll have nothing to be afraid of. Even your head, Christ, has a head. So us dudes, we cannot get high and mighty and think this is kind of some forced subservience. The only forced subservience in my following of Jesus is that I have this rebellious, sinful streak I'm making it harder than it needs to be. I have a 14-month-old son that every time you want to change his clothes, he believes someone has started World War III and the communists got him. And, and, and this, he knew it was going to all end. This is how it was going to end, on the changing table from one set of footy pajamas to another. And he's like, this is the moment. I knew it was coming. I was like, this is only hard because you make it hard. You made a mess all over everything. I'm going to keep it PG. He made a mess all over everything. Read between the lines, parents, grandparents, aunties, uncles. You're miserable in your current state. I'm going to get these nasty clothes off you. I'm going to change your diaper. New diaper, new clothes. Yay, daddy loves you. But the behavior is not that daddy loves me. 
that daddy is about to sell me out to the communists. Like, that's the behavior. I mean no offense if you lean far left. I just, here in the West, we tend to be afraid of water torture and all. Okay. Submission does not have to be so hard. If you are a spirit-filled Christian husband, submission to Christ. Goodness gracious. Anybody here had a bad boss at work? Anybody ever had a bad boss? If, it's, if the person's sitting close to you, don't raise your hand. What if your boss at work was Jesus Christ himself? What does submission look like when your leader is Jesus, the Messiah? So submission shouldn't be this difficult, forced thing. It should be glad, willful following of somebody else because they have loved and served me well. Husbands, did you hear that? Christ does not wag his finger at men. Men should not be wagging their finger at their wife. The father is not wagging his finger at the son. This should be a joy-filled, willful choice. How many of you guys know we mess things up by, you know, sinning? This is all a mess because of sin. That's the only reason it's a mess. He submits to the government. I know, that was your favorite point. Yay. Godly man submits to Christ. He submits to the government. Read with me Romans 13. We're going to do verses 1 through 7. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Anybody upset yet? He's only one verse in. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you're doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes, too, for these same reasons. For government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. What was Paul's why in that passage? What was his why? Why, why? why is a Christian commanded to respect governing authorities? God put them there. The statement was, all authority, if you background in church, you've heard that one before. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's so loaded. You might as well read in between the lines. Caesar's a chump. He calls himself the king of kings, but I allow him to be there. Jesus actually said that directly to Pilate's face. The guy who could crucify him, you're in the position you're in because I allow you to be. Even if that means you're about to crucify me. All authority comes from God. And so this is particularly tough with, um, if you were born and raised in the U.S., you're going to have a bigger struggle with this one than if you are culturally non-Western. Um, 
We were born out of rebellion. I mean, heaven help us if somebody passes a 3% Starbucks tax. Because our country exists from a 3% Starbucks tax. Have you read a history book? Yeah. Yeah. Don't come after my tea. Don't come after my whiskey. Don't come after my coffee and my sugar. Right? To believe that authority comes from God is a tough pill because every single one of us, as I was reading down that text, every one of us was thinking of all the exceptions. No, here's government corruption. Here's a dirty judge. Here's a dirty cop. Here's a bad lawmaker. Here's, okay. Paul's not trying to argue that everybody in government is doing the right thing all the time. Goodness gracious, he's under Caesar! And you and I throw a hissy fit every four years because the person who got elected doesn't have the right letter behind their name. Do you know what's really cool? You guys know there's something that was unique about the 2016? Oh, no, it wasn't unique. You know what was similar between the 2016 American election, the 2012, the 2008, the 2004, the 2000, the 1996? You know how they all had the same? Nobody got crucified as a result of how the election went. Nobody. The person who lost didn't just disappear. So we're sitting here thinking of all of the excuses. Um, Paul has more. His readers have more. They've got reasons to go, uh, are you sure all authority comes from God? This immediately forces the Christian to wrestle with God's sovereignty. God put those people there, but they're sinners and they're going to do things that are wrong. And God still oversees it, working all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God, are you sure? Are you sure? Now this text for sure is talking to both ladies and gents. But today we're talking about the fellas. So let's just be really practical with what, some, some submission. Guys, we have to embrace Christ as our head if we're a Christian man. We need to be giving respect to police officers, to uh, state senators, to national senators, members of the House, president and cabinet, uh, so-called Supreme Court. Um, I just think that name's a joke, so whatever. But <laughs> I was reading this book that says you're not supreme. Anyway, um, those authorities, and this is, this is a, a faith journey, we have to believe that God put them there. And yes, human beings still have free will. And we can take the authority that God gave us and we can do horrifying things. God can make me an authority and I can say, yeah, Roe v. Wade, right to privacy, that's fine. I'll sign off on that. We can, we can abuse what God gives us. We know that. All of us do it. And yet, we're still called to submission. So, fellas, this whole king of your castle thing, it needs to go away. A cop is an authority over you. A mayor is an authority over you. A senator is an authority over you. The president, the Supreme Court. Lots of authorities. Your boss, goodness gracious, your boss at work. And most of all, your savior. We haven't even talked about the church yet. Fellas, you have all kinds of authorities over you. I have all kinds of authorities over me. And in God's, by God's design, 
things actually go better for our blessing when we are submissive and humble to those authorities. I mean, how on earth in the book, is it Daniel or Ezekiel? I always get certain texts mixed up between Daniel and Ezekiel. To stop in captivity and be told to pray for the blessing of the city, maybe it's Jeremiah. I get all those mixed up. To stop and say, put down roots, plant gardens, have kids, have, pray for the good of the city. You're on a big time out. You owe me 70 Sabbath years. You're going to be here in Babylon for a while. Don't hold your breath. Be a blessing while you're here. God was not saying the Babylonian government was holy and sacred and good. He's just saying shine the light while you're here. A Christian man submits to Christ. He submits to government. He submits to church leaders. Check this out. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. So you see the headship there? They are accountable to God. Elders, staff, if that one doesn't scare you, quit. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. That sounds horrifying, right? Aren't we already, we can see the, the power dynamic Oh no, do whatever Greg says. Oh no, do whatever the elders say, you know. Their work is to watch over your souls. So if you see behavior from the staff and elders that is caring for your soul, that means they're doing their job, not some other stuff. They are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this, this watching over your soul. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. So don't make the pastors and elders grumpy. Oh, the sheep keep biting each other and us. Oh, the sheep keep wandering off. Oh, the sheep keep acting like wolves. Oh, we led the sheep to green grass and they wouldn't eat. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Um, so let me just say briefly about this point, submitting to church leaders. Not only is submission a very foreign concept uh, for, for many of us, um, submission to church leaders is a real foreign concept. And I have to think that it's not just from our rebellious culture. I think it's also from consumerism. Meaning, to show up here in this room every once in a while when you feel like it because you like it. Oh, I liked, I liked the sermon, so I think I'll come back. Or, oh, I liked the music, so I think I'll come back. Or whatever. Is relating to the bride of Christ more like we relate to a movie theater We have failed you. We have failed you if we have not taught you that this is a blood-bought movement of God in the world. Joining Christ in seeking and saving the lost, telling anyone who will listen, God died for you to reconcile you back to him. This is not a consumer's game. This is not a spectator sport. And if we think it's a spectator sport, how weird. I mean, 
let, let's, let's be honest. Let's be honest. If I go to a movie and the manager of the movie theater comes out and says, submit to my leadership. How's that going to go? Because in the consumer relationship, I came and gave you $87. You gave me a movie ticket and one bucket of popcorn. Okay, 95 In a consumeristic relationship, I give you some of my dollars, and therefore, what do I get back? I get rights. Rights. That ticket represents the right to go in and consume the movie that I said I wanted once. I have the right to be there in the seat that I chose. I have the right to lean it back, because hallelujah. Those new chairs, you know what I'm talking about. You press the button. Yeah. I purchased rights. And if we come here on a Sunday putting money into that bucket, thinking that we get rights, we're in trouble. We are in big trouble. Because soon as the movie doesn't get the Rotten Tomatoes score that I wanted, I just stop coming back. I didn't like what they said. They were mean. I disagree with that. <laughs> to be sure, if you're biblically solid and this pulpit goes, you know, off to crazy land and you need to leave, fine. But there's something far better than leaving if the pulpit goes to crazy land. And I've told you before. We have three and a half acres where you can hide my body. Don't tell the cop in the back what happened. There are other good people will get up here and preach the cross and preach it clearly. I understand that sometimes we leave a church, we have to, because they're not preaching the gospel of Jesus anymore. I, I get that. But, oh, he said something that offended me, and you won't even enter into relationship to sit down, like, for a careful, slow, loving explanation of maybe there was a misunderstanding. We often leave a church because we disagree with the word of God, and we think that we were mad at the preacher, but unless we actually sit down and carefully, humbly go through, we won't know if our fight was with God or with man, and as Gamaliel said, don't fight God. Don't, don't leave these men alone, right? Acts 4, leave these men alone. You might accidentally find yourself fighting against God. We leave churches that way. Men of ARCF, the elders are here to love you, to serve you, to bless you in your journey of loving Christ more and more. And as you allow us to serve you, you will be more of a blessing to your wife, or if you're single, maybe your wife-to-be. Heck, you'll be a blessing to your city, to your kids and grandkids if you have them. The leadership of the elders is for your flourishing in Christ. We're not always going to get it right, but we're going to try. In short, a Christian husband must be under authority before he is in authority. That's your blank. Anything else is dangerous for those that follow him. A Christian man must be under authority before he is in authority. So that's our first piece. A godly husband is submissive. Here's our second piece. A godly husband initiates godly husband initiates look at this Joshua 24 
Joshua, the new leader of the people of God. Moses has died. They've conquered some of the promised land. He's about to die himself. He's getting up there in years, and he's kind of reiterating, make up your mind. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. I like how that first part always gets left off of your cute little plaque or your coffee cup. It's actually in the negative context. If you're going to rebel against Yahweh, don't be a wuss about it. At least choose one of these loser gods from Egypt or Canaan. Let me know which dead piece of wood you're going to bow down to. He's talking smack. If you're going to refuse to obey Yahweh, choose today who you will serve. Would you prefer the gods that your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me, my family, we will serve the Lord. That is mind-bending when we're trying to talk about spiritual leadership in the home. Because Joshua is 110 years old when he says it. Do you think he has sons who are grown? He has grandsons who are grown. I'm guessing. I, I don't haunt the genealogies probably the way I should in my devotional time. But in, a, in American thought, we tend to say something obscene to our father right around our 18th birthday and storm off and, and, and grab our rights and grab our little piece of sovereignty and in this culture, the oldest male was the boss. It didn't matter that you were 75 years old. If your father, who's 110, is living, is the head of the family, the spiritual trajectory. Yeah, read the story of Gideon and Judges. That, that'll blow you away. Being not the oldest male, but taking all of the household idols and destroying them. And you see how unbelievably controversial. He says, for every man, woman, and child in my family, we are serving Yahweh. There was not a discussion. There was not a vote. Fellas, Joshua does not lick his finger and stick it up into the wind of culture or anyone's opinion to decide who's going to be the center of his worship and his existence. Any of you who men who are single or single again, You've got to make a declaration like this at the first date. Do not abuse a woman by leaving her twisting in the wind as to where your allegiances lie. You have to let her know who you worship. What is she signing up for if this goes on to a third date and a fourth and you really like each other, there's commitment, you decide to marry. What is she signing up for? Don't lie to her. Don't lie to yourself. Don't waffle back and forth. You've got to tell her, he is the one who saved me. His name is Jesus. And I cannot help but speak about what I have seen and what I have heard. Do not abuse a woman by telling her one thing and then worshiping another way after there's commitment. Don't do that to her. Christian woman. Oh, you're blank. He initiates purposeful spiritual direction. You're blank. He initiates purposeful spiritual direction. 
A Christian woman should never have to say to her husband, this is what initiation looks like, honey, wake up. I want us to go to church this week. I'm just trying to make it real practical. This is what I mean when I say spiritual initiation. Christian man, if you believe that the elders' solid leadership or evil leadership, if solid Bible teaching or terrible Bible teaching has eternal consequences on the soul of your wife and kids, you're going to take very seriously what church you're a part of, aren't you? If you smell a rat, you're going to get your family to safety, aren't you? Away from some nonsense church. Can a wife initiate and say, honey, I want to do this, honey, I want to do that? Absolutely. Women are initiating all day long, mostly because men won't. You're calling me a liar? Take a look at the story of Barak and Deborah, where God tells Barak, lead my people into battle, and he hides behind Deborah's spiritual gifting as a good luck charm. I'll only go if you go with me. And she says, what? She uses her prophetic voice to say, it's not going to go the way you think it's going to go. She knew her calling and she obeyed God. He did not obey God. He did not know his calling. Can a woman be the spiritual leader of a home? Absolutely. A single mom, a widow, a woman whose husband does not love Christ. When daddy loves Jesus, and, and brothers, in case you're feeling condemned right now, there's nothing in scripture that says your biblical knowledge is what makes you the spiritual leader of the home. The spiritual leader of the home is one who's trying to set the pace in humble submission to Christ. That means if you know one Bible verse, you're just working your tail off to obey God in that one area. Set the temperature and intensity. And if you become a scholar of the word, praise God. Maybe you married a woman who'd been in church longer than you. Okay, but set the pace for intensity. This family's going to worship God. This family's going to worship God. No Christian wife has ever said, my husband wrote a Bible verse on the bathroom mirror for the family to learn. He's also initiating prayer with me all the time. This is so annoying. My husband's trying to serve me by doing the chores around the house that he knows I hate the most. He's trying to lay down his life for me like Christ loved the church. <laughs> Said no wife ever. Heck, you could have uh, a Christian man with a wife who's not Christian She's probably not going to complain either. If you love and serve her really well, she'll probably love it. You guys were awesome last week. I said, if you want your journey to be a little more robust, pick up a copy of The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. There were copies at the back. Take seven bucks and put it in the, in the bucket. Um, you guys made those books disappear, and you made them disappear quickly. So as promised, we've got more. They're back here. So why am I putting this in the middle of the sermon talking about initiation? J fellas, I'm just going to, wherever that line is, I like to find, where's that line? And to just take two steps past. Do not make your wife get up, go to the back of the table and get a copy of the book. That, that's a very practical, if she does, fine. Don't make her get the book. Don't make her say, honey, remember how you promised we were going to read the book? And I'm, I'm the biggest hypocrite in the whole world. I'm terrible at initiation, but it's, it's there. It's there in Scripture, clear as day. I'm having to repent of this. All of us fellas are having to repent of this. Initiate. Initiate. Read the book together. Help your own hearts. 
I've got one brother right now leaving the sound booth to go get that book. Hallelujah! Woo! Um, so, this is, this is going great. So, a godly husband initiates, and, and if you, we don't have a lot of time, but I'd really just, I'd like to encourage you to back up to the 30,000 foot level and look at 66 books of the Bible and ask yourself, I, I, I would dive into uh, Ezekiel 16 if I had the time. In general, who is initiating? God or his people? Ask yourself that as you read, all, again, all 66 books. Who's initiating? So especially and specifically in redemptive history, where the second person of the Trinity takes on flesh, I, I've said this many times to you guys in a year and a half, you and I did not think of Christmas. We didn't conjure that up. We didn't whiteboard, hey, how about the second person of the Trinity takes on flesh? What does that mean? Well, okay, okay hypostatic union. So we're going to do this and this. He's fully God, fully man, virgin birth. Virgin birth, where'd you get that? Okay, do it, just do it. All right, virgin birth. Magi, what are those? Well, we're going to have them come in. Like, no. You and I did not think of an initiating God before the foundations of the world predestined that in Christ we'd be made into, right? You didn't come up with that. I did not come up with that. Our God is an initiating God. He comes after us. Read the book of Hosea if you've never read Hosea. Read Ezekiel 16 if you haven't. That's a brutal chapter about the initiating love of God. And then our third for the day. A godly, godly husband teaches. This is going to be brutal to try to cram through this in three minutes, but here we go. This is easily one of the um, more controversial biblical teachings about um, Christian husbands because we don't like, uh, we tend to associate our discipleship with knowledge. Like the more head knowledge, the more things I know about God, the holier I am, which is of course nonsense. Um, but a godly husband teaches, let me, let me just briefly dive into Genesis 3. If you read uh, Genesis 3, sorry, Genesis 2, verses 15 through 18, you're going to find out three specific things happen with Adam, the first man, and they happen in a very specific order. Adam was given a job, he's told to steward the garden. Then he's given the word of God. The very next verse, do not eat of that particular tree, for the day that you will, you will surely die. And then he's given a wife. Do we have any single fellas in here? I'm not going to ask you to bring your hand. Single fellas? Uh, okay, I'm trying to think. Single, single again? Okay. That order matters. Especially the, the 22-year-old versions of single guys. They don't have a job. They can't find their Bible wondering if they can get a wife. There's an order. Get a job. Keep your Bible open often, and then maybe God will entrust you with a wife. A job, then the word of God, then a wife. So what's critical about this? The woman did not even exist when God spoke to Adam saying, do not eat of that tree. So it was his responsibility to share with her what God had said. He has an immediate responsibility to fill her in on what's happened thus far. He joins, she joins him, the helper suitable, she joins him in stewarding the garden. So we, ostensibly, he was willing to, and had her as a partner in the work side of things. But on the word of God side of things, she is not able to correctly and accurately recite what God had said. She had this messed up version. She went to a prosperity gospel church where it was like half right. 
She's not able to rebuke Satan with the word of God. Matthew 4, we see Jesus doesn't mind talking to Satan. He'll throw verses at him. But he throws them accurately, so they hit their mark. Eve is not equipped to do battle the way she should have been equipped. A godly husband is to work hard to understand the Bible teaching of the church until he is able to repeat it. Brothers, I know this sounds like I'm, I'm serious. Until you can repeat it, you need to keep working. Uh, page 958, we're going to just do this real quick. This is really important. 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14, page 958. If you have the hardback, we, we passed out. 1 Corinthians 14. Paul is talking to the church at Corinth about orderliness in worship. There again, in this text, there are also things that are a little confusing and different Christians disagree on exactly how to... But we're going to talk about the part that is not uh, unclear in the least. Okay? Verse 26. Well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, another will tell some special revelation God has given, one will speak in tongues, another will interpret what is said. But everything that is done must strengthen all of you. No more than two or three should speak in tongues. They must speak one at a time, and someone must interpret what they say. But if no one is present who can interpret, they must be silent in your church meeting and speak in tongues in God, to God privately. Right? Because he just said it has to be a blessing to everybody. So if it can't be interpreted, it's not helpful. Let two or three people prophesy, and let the others evaluate what is said. So you don't get to just say, I have a, pro I have a word from the Lord. If you say, I have a word from the Lord, I'm pulling out my Bible like, let's see. Let me hear about your special word from the Lord, right? If it, if it passes the sniff test, okay, we're good. If it passes the sniff test, fine. He just said, let it be evaluated. I cannot move quickly through a text. I don't know why I lie to myself about a quick jaunt through any text. Yeah, right. Okay, verse 30. But if someone is prophesying and another person receives a revelation from the Lord, the one who is speaking must stop. In this way, all who prophesy will have a turn to speak, one after the other, so that everyone will learn and be encouraged. Remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. Here's the part where it sounds more controversial than it needs to be. Women should be silent during the church meetings. It is not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive, just as the law says. If they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is improper for women to speak in church meetings. Or do you think God's word originated with the Corinthians? Are you the only ones to whom it was given? If you claim to be a prophet or think you're spiritual, you should recognize that what I am saying is a command from the Lord himself. But if you do not recognize this, you yourself will not be recognized. So my dear brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and don't forbid speaking in tongues. Be sure that everything is done properly and in order. Now, the whole women not speaking in church is really interesting because he just gave instructions about spiritual gifts that are non-gender specific. So men and women prophesying, men and women bringing a song, men and women speaking, whatever, men and women bringing an interpretation, um, other parts of the book. So at first blush, you're like, there's no way this is an absolute statement because he just gave instructions on men and women doing these various public things in a church service. So we could fight over what we do not know, or we could park on what was really clear. Ready? This is the one thing, then we're going to be done. Paul apparently thinks it is completely acceptable for a Christian woman to be able to rely 
on her husband's being a student of the word. I mean, did you hear? When you and the kids pop into the minivan and head off to KFC to pickle your liver, if you didn't sure, weren't sure what Pastor Greg said in the sermon, ask your husband. Oh, is that all? Thanks, Paul. That solves it. No, all the guys' blood pressure just went up. I have to listen so studiously that I can help teach my family on the ride home. Wow. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to go. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. God, that you are the one that we Christian men submit to. What a joy it is to follow you, Jesus. Thank you for being humble and being patient with us. Oh God, those of us who are husbands or hope to be husbands one day, we so appreciate your patience with us because we screw up all the time, God. You're so kind to us. Holy Spirit, I ask you to take full stewardship over every marriage at ARCF and glorify the Son. God, I ask for blessing in the future marriages that might be represented in this room. I ask for blessing for the future marriages represented over in our youth group and our children's ministry. Oh God, please help us now to exemplify healthy marriage to our kiddos, to our nieces, to our nephews, other boys and girls of the church that they would be set up for success 20 years from now. God, please give us victory because your enemy hates marriage with everything he's got. And he's after us. And we confess, God, that we have fought alone for too long and we have lost. We've suffered utter defeat because we left you behind. And we're sorry. Give us victory, Jesus, in this area that you'd make your name great in Citrus Heights and with our kids and our grandkids and to the ends of the earth. In your beautiful name we pray. God's people said, amen. Love you guys.